all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Good to be with you this morning. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any type of health care issues or other topics that you need answered. We are here for you today, so I would encourage you to go ahead and call in early. Usually we have more time in the first part of the hour. The number to reach us this morning with your questions or comments is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call, you can always send us an email. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Well, we've got a taste of summer here this morning. <clears throat> when I woke up uh, and then headed out the door, it uh, hit me that uh, all familiar um, uh, heavy atmospheric blanket of humidity filled my lungs as I walked out into my garage this morning, and uh, certainly uh, got to be careful when you uh, walk out there, particularly on concrete, uh, with that uh, layer of, uh, of humidity and condensation on things. But uh, a little bit hotter today than what we've been used to. We've had really had some great weather overall, I think, across the state and the region uh, with some cooler temperatures, and, uh, but uh, not today. A little bit more humidity of what a uh, little taste of what's to come. But I hope you're having a great Wednesday, middle of the week. Um, lots of, uh, you know, for the last 12 to 18 months, we've heard a lot of um, a lot of rules and regulations and recommendations of things that we couldn't do. And um, thankfully, there's been a, a lot of work, of course, in the last six months on vaccinations and on uh, containment of uh, the COVID virus in different areas. Certainly, that battle is not over yet. But yesterday, the CDC released some new guidelines on uh, uh, activities outdoors. And uh, it's nice to have a guideline where we have a little bit more uh, freedom towards what we were used to before COVID. So currently for vaccinated individuals, and again, I would stress that highly, if you haven't gotten a vaccination, I would really consider doing that to protect yourself and others and to slow down uh, this uh, the COVID virus as it uh, continues to replicate in individuals all over the place. Um, but um, if you are fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, it's no longer recommended that you wear a mask outdoors, as long as it's not in too crowded an area. Um, indoors, if you, uh, if you are around other people who are vaccinated, they now recommend that you, uh, you know, can uh, can unmask and stay undistanced um, as long as everybody is vaccinated. Um, 
you know, travel to if you are able to travel outside the U.S. Uh, it is not recommended uh, for you to be tested unless uh, prior to that uh, that travel, unless you're going to a place that does require that. And then uh, on reentry, they are still requiring testing of individuals, even if they're vaccinated upon reentry. And then generally, it's it's recommended after you've been here for about three to five days to get tested as well. But you don't have to self quarantine unless that's a part of your, um, you know, a, a requirement of where you work. Certain healthcare facilities, of course, a little bit different recommendations there. Um, if you're vaccinated and you are around somebody who tests positive, you do not have to self quarantine. You do not have to get tested unless you develop symptoms. So. Something to think about uh, as an incentive to getting those vaccinations. And again, this is getting back to um, to a situation where we can have a little bit more freedom. A lot of people ask me, well, well, Dr. Jimmy, you know, if our vaccination rates here in the state and our uh, caseload is so low, why do we still have to wear masks indoors? Why are we still having to do a lot of those things? And uh, aren't we protected uh, against the virus moving forward? couple of different reasons why we still need to be cautious. Number one, COVID is still raging in lots of different places worldwide because of uh, travel. You can ban travel to countries. You can you can do what you can to, to contain it, but it will still um, travel uh, to different places, including here. Um, we have evidence of that with the different variants that have popped up in the state uh, from different places, and there's ongoing surveillance of that. But um, the other thing is that uh, the more this virus replicates, in other words, the more it um, it increases within individuals and in uh, populations of individuals who have very low uh, vaccination rates, the more it's going to mutate. And the more mutations we get, that increases the risk that one or more of those mutations is not going to be uh, as uh, that the vaccines that we have right now, that they're not going to be as effective. Thankfully, they seem to be working against the variants that have come up. That's great news and certainly very powerful. That's what we want to hear. Uh, but the more this virus replicates and reproduces itself from individual to individual, even in individuals that don't have as severe an infection, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, it doesn't really matter if it uh, replicates in younger individuals, you still run the risk of all the gains that we've made through vaccination uh, and other, um, other health, uh, population health um, uh, Im implements that we've had in place, uh, that those are going to be for naught if we have a, a uh, variant that sort of pops up uh, that is not effective. So that's sort of the reasons why you still need to be doing what you're doing. Um, and I know everybody's tired. I know everybody's frustrated with that and wants to get back to some semblance of the social interactions that we uh, that we need as humans. Uh, that's uh, certainly another thing that I've seen in my patient population. Um, there's been a lot of my patients that have had increased anxiety and depression and social isolation. And my older individuals that already had some dementia, there's been an acceleration of that. So I get it. There's a lot of effects that we have seen downstream to some of the things we've had to put into place. Uh, but thankfully, we've seen some improvements. And uh, again, I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't gotten your vaccination yet, I would do that as soon as you could. Uh, the more people we get vaccinated, the more 
uh, gains we we get back on what we can do and in protecting those individuals who might be more affected by the virus. So things to think about, but lots of a uh, little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel there, more light as we get closer and closer toward it. So I just want to encourage everybody to do that. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call with your health care questions is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. You know, we talked about summer season coming up and lots of other things. We've had calls from time to time about other sort of summer type issues that we deal with here in Mississippi. Somebody brought up West Nile or some of the other mosquito-borne illnesses. Certainly mosquitoes are ramping up uh, rapidly, particularly with all of the rain that we've had. Um, as as most native Mississippians know, our mosquito population can be here throughout the winter. It's not like a lot of northern states where you don't see those mosquitoes for months on end. Uh, and, um, you know, I've gotten uh, bitten a couple of times this past weekend. Sort of sneaks up on you, though. You don't think about uh, mosquito repellent or some of the other measures to avoid them. Um and just remember, mosquito-borne illnesses are not going to be affected by wearing a mask or by social distancing. Those little critters can get to you, and once they bite you, there's a chance of that transmitting from person to person. So we still have you know, the risk of mosquito-borne illnesses like West Nile. Uh, thankfully, we don't have as much of it as we used to have in the early uh, seasons when it came through. Zika virus is another concern, of course, um, in the area. So uh, keep that in mind, wear mosquito repellent. If you can limit your time uh, that you're uh, in uh, areas where mosquitoes might be hanging out and limit their environment. So if you've got some standing water, make sure you pour that out, even in uh, small containers like the catch pots of uh, of potted plants. Um, That's enough water. Mosquito doesn't need that much water to to reproduce. So keep that in mind and... um, Take some precautions there around your home, and if you're outside, uh, enjoying a lot of the weather. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think "Eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere this is an mpb think radio podcast on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your concerns that you have about health care. could be about yourself, could be about somebody else. Maybe it's a new medication that you've been put on, or maybe you've seen one advertised and you have some questions about that. Maybe it's a new symptom that you're having that you just need some answers. Feel free to call this morning, and we'll try to answer your question as best we can. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 
Um, let's go to Mikey from Mobile, our first caller of the hour. Good morning, Mikey. Thank you for calling. Oh, thank you for receiving my call. Um, uh, I, I know this is probably a very naive question, but I'm going to ask it because maybe, okay, I'm naive in a lot of areas. Um, what is the gestation period for mosquitoes? If you've got a flower pot with, you know, water into it, if you've got a cistern where, you know, you're collecting water off of the roof to water flowers with, um, if there's a magnolia leaf that's upturned in your yard, and I'll, I'll, I'll listen respectfully, thank you. Sure. And, Mikey, you hit on a lot of those areas that we don't think about that might have standing water. I don't know exactly, but I think it's around a week. Uh, so it's not long. Um, and the only reason I know that I'd like to fly fish and I'm sort of like the, what little I know about insects. Um, I, you know, uh, have learned from, uh, from learning what fish eat. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it's about a week, uh, or maybe a little bit longer than that from the time that that little critter lays its egg in the water and then it develops into a pupa and larva. Uh, and then uh, into a winged insect. So um, it's not very long. And uh, so you can imagine if you've had standing water, particularly in areas that are shady, that don't have a lot of evaporative losses, that you could, uh, you could easily have a mosquito lay those eggs in that water and then have them develop into a, an adult mosquito pretty quickly. So um, the biggest thing I think is, is you sort of alluded to is to just look for those areas that might have standing water and to, uh, to try to eliminate those as much as possible. Uh, you did mention some catch basins for rainwater, and that's a great way to water your plants if you, you, know, you want to sort of recapture that water without using the water at the spigot. Um, but um, that, you know, just keeping that covered uh, there's a lot of ways to do that if it's coming off your roof with a gutter system or, or otherwise. You can always have those uh, covered uh, so that they're sort of closed systems. A mosquito is probably not, gonna, um, not going to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's exactly <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think that you got to be a little bit creative with it. They make systems, though, that do that. Um, so that, that, yeah, I think you might want to Google well, that just to somebody's probably – yeah, you might want to just double check me, but I think it's about a week. Oh, thank you so much. I've wondered and wondered and not been able to find out this answer before. Thank you, sir. Sure. Thank you for calling, and we appreciate it. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know, if you think about it, too, those mosquitoes, once – there to adult stage, they do have to sort of fly around for a while, and uh, and they can cover some ground um, from one person to the other. The other thing to remember is it's not just about transmission of things from person to person, but animals to people. So a lot of these other viruses that are transmitted by mosquitoes, uh, and we call them vectors in that situation. So a vector is just something that transmits and transmits an infectious disease from uh from one individual to another but a lot of them you know birds can carry a lot of those that can be reservoirs so um you know it's it's you, you can have that from an animal to a person 
Let's go to Paulette in Starkville, Mississippi. Good morning, Paulette. Thank you for calling. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's your question this morning? I broke my leg, the femur, uh, last August, um, and I had a knee replacement, and it shoved the knee replacement into the bro into the broken bone. Oh. Uh, it has not healed. I had surgery to fix all that, and uh, it has not healed. Um, it's still, actually, from the last uh, doctor's visit to the one before that, they said there was very little healing. Um, what can I do? I'm taking um, the extra amount of vitamin D as well as calcium. I'm taking that pill that you take for osteoporosis, aldonite, or, or I can't think how it is. Alendronate. That's yeah. right, yeah. I've been taking that for a couple of weeks. Um, they sent me a bone stimulator, which I started to use yesterday. What else can I do? It's going think, on a long time. They mentioned yeah. surgery, but I'm I'm entirely against that. Yeah, it's and that's a you know that is a complication, particularly um, with an injury like that. So when you break a leg, um, it's a little bit harder for a knee replacement, which is a prosthetic, um, you know, prosthetic um, a device that has to. Um, has to uh, the bone from your leg uh, that fits up against it has to sort of grow into it so that it anchors. And unfortunately, there's lots of, you know, there's a couple of different things that can happen to that site that can make it harder for that to sort of get come together in a way that provides a lot of stability. Infection is one, mm -hmm. trauma is another one. It sounds to me, Paulette, like I, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, but it sounds to me like you're doing a lot of the things that they would recommend. You mentioned it's slow. It is very frustrating. It is a slow process to regrow bone unless you're young. Uh, so, you know, if you're young, it's a, it happens a lot quicker. Providing all, all of mm -hmm. the, re, the, uh, the things that your bone needs, and you mentioned a couple of those, like adequate calcium and vitamin D, and then that, that alendronate, which is a, a medication that stimulates your bone to lay down new bone. Uh, those are all, you know, things. The bone stimulator is another one. It, unfortunately, all of those take time, and by time I mean months sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's that. If they haven't, you know, laid that out for you, that's sort of what to expect. If that doesn't mm -hmm. happen, you may want to revisit surgery. You know, from uh, different types of surgeries that can help. You know, re-establish that uh, that prosthetic device in there. But unfortunately, it sounds like you're doing about all you can do right now. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't know if they've got you, you know, in physical therapy with that uh, or how much they want you moving around. Sometimes you don't want to move it around as much just because it needs to, you know, it needs to grow into that prosthetic device. So mm -hmm. um, I did have I, surgery I, for about, I mean, therapy for about four months, but yeah. I'm not doing that anymore. They said they had done all they could do for me. Yeah. I still have I, a lot and, of pains. And a second opinion may be worthwhile, too, at this point, you know, just to have somebody look at it and say, you know, is there anything mm -hmm. more that you can do? It does sound to me, though, that you, you know, everything that you mentioned, that's that's about the the usual that you would do um, to try to get that bone to to uh, to adhere itself to that prosthetic knee device. OK, just just wanted to ask if there's anything else. Thank you very much. I appreciate your call.
Yes, yes, ma'am. Good luck to you. Let's go to Harry from Vidalia, Louisiana. Good morning, uh, Harry. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. I've got a problem in that the periodically the tips of my fingers turn blue and go numb, and now the back of my hand has small, light-colored scabs, and skin is red. If the sun shines on it, it feels like it's 200 degrees. Yeah. I'm I'm 84 years old. I'm blessed with good health and don't take any medication. Good for you, Harry. Man, that is great. A um, couple of ideas on what's going on with your hand. It may be two separate processes, but one of them I'm fairly certain is something called Raynaud's phenomena. And um, it's um, it has to do with the blood vessels and the tips of your fingers um, and, and the whole finger itself. They can uh, constrict and reduce the blood supply to your fingers. It can cause a lot of pain. Generally speaking, it goes pale, so it turns sort of white. And then if it continues, it goes blue. And then once they, they open up again, they dilate, and the blood supply gets back to your fingers, they'll go red. So it's sort of a patriotic uh, you know, cycle to it. Um, but it can be very painful. A lot of times it happens with colder situations. Um, there are some medications to, to help with that. Now, certainly warming up your hands, it can be one way to do that. You know, if you just put some gloves on or something like that to warm them back up, a lot of times that can take care of it. Um, but if it's something that's developed, um, you know, in the last few years, it can be an indication of something else going on. Now, the things on the, the the spots on the back of your hand that burn, it may be related, but usually that's not a, a, a place where Raynaud's uh, affects the back of the hand. That may be, I'm taking a stab at it without actually looking at it, uh, sounds like a little bit of sun damage that may be back there. And if it's particularly if it's scaly, it may be uh, sort of some uh, actinic keratoses, which are uh, chronic sun damage to uh, that's very common in exposed areas of the body. And once you get up to 84 years old, certainly you probably have at least some of those. Uh, a dermatologist can help out with that. There's some things you can put on there that can that can help. But I, I would see somebody about the Raynaud's if it's causing a lot of problems, a lot of pain. You can have it in your feet as well. There's some uh, blood pressure medications that in some lower doses actually do pretty good with preventing that. Uh, they're called calcium channel blockers, um, but that that you know if it's causing a lot of problems, I would probably tell somebody about that, Harry. Okay, I sure appreciate your advice, and you have uh, a wonderful program and a big help to all of us. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy, with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll go to Richard in Maven. Good morning, Richard. Hey, uh, this may be out of your ballpark, but the price of Viagra uh -huh. has gone to $400 a dose. The price of the, or the generic is somewhere close to $100 a dose. What, what's up with that? Uh, is it just because they've got it? <laughs> a lot of it is, Richard. Uh, yeah, so drug prices on lots of different medications can go up for different reasons. 
even if it's a generic sometimes a lot of people will think well once once something goes generic it uh you know the price should come down quite a bit and most yeah. of the time that's the case however well what happens is the drug company they give that patent up and then another drug company will pick it up and manufacture it if something happens to the manufacturing side of things the price will go up um so sudden price increases oftentimes are related to supply chain problems at the factory that's making that, and sometimes that's around the world. For instance, you know, a lot of our generic medications are made overseas. If a country has a problem, like India, for instance, right now with COVID, you know, and they have some problems making that, you might see the prices go up uh, just because of limited supply. I would, I would, if you haven't though, I'd shop around. There's nothing, you know, particularly for Viagra, the generic works, Sildenafil works just as well. Um, a lot of people find those, you know, access to those medications in, uh, in uh, other places or in bulk. Um, there are coupons if you contact a company a lot of times to do that. The other thing to, to look at is what is your physician prescribing that for? Because if there is an indication Sometimes there's other medical problems like prostatic, prostatic uh, hypertrophy or BPH, it's also known as. That can be an indication to prescribe daily Viagra, and um, that'll help out with other conditions that you have as well. So I, those are all ways to sort of figure out the best way to get the lowest cost on medication. Um, and you can work with your pharmacist, too, a lot of times to try to figure that out. About a decade ago, I complained to my brother, who was uh-huh. my—he was high up in the medical research industry—and he said, "Well, if you want to be real feel really feel bad about it, it was about thirty-five dollars a pill then." And he said, "You know what it cost to make it?" And I said, "No, what? Do I want to know?" And he said, "Well, no, it's about a dollar." <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not, uh, you know, and if you talk to drug companies, they'll tell you, you know, well, we spent millions and millions of dollars in the development phase of it. Manufacturing may be a whole lot less, but it's not uncommon for medications that have been out for decades and decades. We had a shortage of chlorthalidone, which has been around since, uh, you know, at least the 60s as a blood pressure medication. Super cheap, but uh, there was a time when it went up in cost because of different manufacturers. And sometimes entire companies will drop it. They'll say, you know, it's not worth our while to make this anymore. We're just going to drop it. And then you can't, you know, the, the cost will be driven up. So unfortunately, uh, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, in our office, we try to do as much as possible. And we have a wonderful pharmacy team. Uh, that works with us on doing that, both at the at the pharmacy where the patient gets their, their medication, but also in our office, we've got that resource. So I, those are the people I would reach out to, and there may be some other ways to do that. GoodRx is another program for a lot of medications where you can um, where you can get a, a discount. So, uh, Richard, I, I'd point you in those directions and see if you can't uh, figure that out. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you on this Wednesday morning answering your calls and questions about uh, any kind of health care issue that you might have. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call today, do send us an email. We do read those and respond to those individually. If you give us permission, we'll also uh, share those with our larger listening audience. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Cynthia in Oxford. Good morning, Cynthia. What's your question this morning? Hi. Two questions related to exercising outdoors in the spring. Um, how prevalent is Lyme disease, um, would you say, in northern Mississippi? And then also, uh, what's your best protocol for uh, reducing hay fever symptoms? Yeah, very good questions. So uh, exercising outdoors, I'm a big proponent of that. I love doing that. That's my preference. I'm not much of an indoor exercise guy. Um, Certainly in Mississippi, we have a lot of pluses to do that. Uh, My sister lives in Chicago, and uh, unfortunately, they're not able to get out as much as we are. So the risk there, uh, Lyme disease is actually pretty small. Um, So, uh, you know, Lyme disease is a tick-borne illness. It is very prevalent in the northeast, um, uh, not northeast Mississippi, but uh, northeast United States. Um, There's not a whole lot of endemic um, uh, Lyme disease in the state in in any region unless you traveled outside, got exposed, and then came back. Now, a lot of people I know are diagnosing Lyme disease in different ways, uh, and it's, you know, there's, but there's really, if you talk to our infectious disease experts, which that's sort of their realm, they'll tell you there's not really a whole lot of that uh, from exposure here locally. Certainly, you could get other tick-borne illnesses. Ehrlichiosis is one. Uh, there's other tick-borne uh, diseases that you can get. I was actually treated for some complications of a tick bite uh, several months ago. So that's certainly something you want to watch out for. Uh, you know, one of the best ways now, if you're outside and exercising, is you can, uh, it's not that expensive. You can get permethrin uh, impregnated clothing. So permethrin is a natural substance that's uh, made by, by plants that is a, uh, a sort of insect repellent. It doesn't really smell any differently. You can wash it, you know, uh, the normal lifespan, and it's, uh, 
it's but it's it's made in the clothing itself so that it uh, repels insects if you don't want to you know spray yourself down with uh, insect repellent so that's they make it in shirts and socks um uh, pants even. So there's lots of, of outdoor companies that sell that now. And then the other question that you had, you know, was really about, uh, I'm sorry, what was your other question? Uh, reducing hay fever symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's one even more, you know, it's, that's a much harder thing to to reduce that. If you're going to be outside, um, it's all about exposure and where those allergens are. So if you know that you uh, have a lot of hay fever type symptoms like myself during the spring, um, that's usually tree pollens. Um, there are, what I usually tell people is hit it pretty hard up front. Um, I don't like to take antihistamines. They work for a lot of people. It just makes me a little groggy. Even the non-sedating ones like Zyrtec or Claritin or Allegra, a lot of people will take those. If you don't want to do something systemic like that, doing a nasal saline wash, and this is not like a nasal spray that's just a little bit of spray on each side. Um, you know, different pharmacies carry these. It's basically an applicator bottle that's filled up with about 250 milliliters of, of water. I use distilled water. You can make your own um, with a little saline packet that you put in there. Wash your nasal passages out once a day with that. Uh, and then if you want to up your game a little bit more than that, if you're still having symptoms, you can use a topical steroid that only acts right there in the nasal passages like Flonase. You can get that over the counter. Fluticasone is the generic. Um, that works for about 99% of people, at least to decrease symptoms. Um, but with our high pollen counts here in the state, you, you really can't get away from that. Even if you're indoors, you can't get away from it. Um, but that would be my regimen from a hay fever standpoint to do that. I have found that most people, if they're pretty regimented about that nasal wash, uh, doing it at least once a day, you could do it twice a day. Uh, particularly if you're outside, uh, and you come in, you can do it. That keeps the symptoms down dramatically and you can enjoy all that time outside. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, uh, taking your calls. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Let's go to our next caller. Uh, Kevin, who, I'm sorry, who was that? Um, We've got uh, Edward in Jackson. Edward, good morning. Thank you for calling. Good morning, sir. Appreciate oh, you the show. There? Listen, uh, uh, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, uh, I had a kidney transplant. I'm on my 14th year, doing great, and seven, just turned 76, and I, I work like a 40-year-old. I'm, like, out restoring my car and doing everything around the house and the yard and everything. But after the second COVID shot, uh, I've become kind of, like, uh, kind of lazy and laxadilic, and, and unless I really, really uh, – get interested in doing like I want to change the sheets. I can't, I can't, can't stand doing laundry no more and just got lazy and just don't feel like I have any, uh, uh, get up and you know, not get up and go, but any, uh, impetus to do anything <laughs> except what I, what I want to yeah. do. And uh, I was just curious if you had anything reports, uh, uh, you know, I take that micro, uh, phenylate and then the cell set and, uh, and the prograph and, uh, I'm thinking maybe you have some interaction with, with the medicines I'm taking is, is probably the problem. What do you think? 
Yeah, it, that's a that's a common uh, symptom of uh, you know side effect of this usually the second dose of the vaccines, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer. I've heard that usually it's self limiting and it only lasts a, a you know a day or, or more uh, or two uh, after that. But um, if it's lasting more than a week, I think you probably need to circle back with your doctor and maybe even your kidney doctors who are following you for the transplant. Um, I know you know what those medications are, Edward, but uh, our listening audience may not. Those are three medications that uh, are part of a regimen for preventing a, a rejection of a, a kidney after a transplant. So all of those medications affect your immune system so that you're keeping it at a level where it's not going to reject that transplant that you have. And it may be an interaction with your body's immune response to the vaccine uh, that are causing some of those symptoms. But the fatigue, that is one that I've heard. I've experienced that myself with the with the second vaccine dose. Usually it's, as I said, usually it's self-limiting after about 24 hours. But if it, you're having it longer than a week, I think you probably need to, to check back with your physician and report that. I mean, that needs to be reported as a potential side effect, uh, particularly in your case, so, you know, getting a kidney transplant. Um, uh, but, but with that, uh-huh. one curious thing is though, like uh, uh, by the time the afternoon comes, you know, at one or two o'clock, uh, I'm ready to go. You know, it's it's just like it's just a, a morning thing, or you know, and the uh, yeah. you know, by the and, time and the late it, afternoon comes, I'm ready to pick up and you know mow the lawn or do anything else. So that's kind of, uh, I guess, yeah, it's, curious too. It, yeah, that is a little unusual. Usually it's like, like I said, you know, that time period. But uh, it may be something else going on, though. There may be something that's that's uh, happening in the morning time that needs to be investigated. Um, I, but I, if you haven't already, I'd circle back probably to your kidney transplant nephrologist and uh, just to see if there's some tests that they want to do. There are some other things that, that can sometimes affect your energy level and your fatigue um, you know, that, that may be interacting with it just may be, um, uh, occurring at the same time. But, um, yeah, it's a little unusual that you have that. You might just, that may be a new pattern of a morning siesta for you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I get my labs done every month at VA and, and they look, they look fine. I don't have any, you know, the, the creatine is good and the EFGR and, and, uh, you know, blood work, everything looks fine like that. So, uh, uh, that's kind of got me confused, but I think I'll go ahead and call my coordinator in Birmingham and give her a shout yeah. and, and uh, see what she got to say. But I just thought yeah, I'd check I, with you since, since yeah, you're, you're I, such I, a good doctor and you I'll, give a lot of good advice to everybody. Well, I appreciate it, Edward. Uh, yeah, I'd give them a call and see if they want to you know, do something a little bit different. So do appreciate you calling. Good luck to you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm
Wild Walk Racing. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. The first question that we get when someone comes in is, how is the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library in Mississippi? Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We have every letter Grant ever wrote and every letter ever written to him. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning, answering your questions and uh, calls about any kind of health care topic that you might have. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 18- Sorry, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If if you didn't catch, you know, if you come in on a conversation a little bit late, you want to go back and uh, say, oh, I just, I wish I could have heard the rest of that. You can look for that on our website. So mpbonline.org is the place to go, and just search for Southern Remedy, and you'll find lots of our archive programs there. Usually takes us about twenty four hours to uh, to pull that up. Uh, on the website, but you can uh, to, to get it on the website, but you can pull that up and listen to previous programs uh, if you didn't catch the whole thing. We understand people sort of have to go in and out sometimes uh, don't uh, catch the whole the whole program. And then also uh, do send us an email if you have a question. A lot of people will think, ah, my question's not that important. I'm not sure I could really you know that that would really be something worthwhile sending in. Every question you have is important to us. Um, you can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. I continue to see patients who ask questions about, you know, getting caught up on some things. I think it's a wonderful time now that we have lower numbers in the state, that physicians' offices are more accessible. Uh, to go in, go ahead and schedule that appointment, maybe some things that you put off in the last 18 months or so. Uh, whether it was a screening colonoscopy, whether it was an immunization that you may need to get. Uh, maybe it's your kids that need to come in and get caught up on some things. Now's the time to do it. If you have younger kids, too, uh, you know, we do a lot of screenings, uh, particularly for developmental delay, that, um, that may have uh, sort of fallen by the wayside. If you have young kids that are in the first few years of life, those are really uh, important uh, checkups to get. Um, to make sure that all of their developmental milestones, whether that's a speech milestone or a uh, gross motor, fine motor, or socialization, we have lots of good screening tools to, uh, to make sure that your child is, is uh, developing appropriately. And if not, that we have some interventions. You know, most people think, well, if they're going to be delayed, they're going to be delayed. There's not anything I can do about that. That's not the case. Uh, we, what we know now is early intervention particularly in, uh, you know, a developmental delay is key to getting them back on track to where they, they need to, to be. The brain is, is wonderfully uh, adaptive at that age, and you really can make some big gains. Uh, even if your child is diagnosed with something like autism, autism uh, spectrum disorder, or other learning disabilities, it is imperative that you do that at an earlier age so that you can receive the, uh, the interventions that you need for them to succeed. So do that. If you've been putting those kinds of things off, I would encourage you to uh, contact your physician. 
maybe it's, you know, unfortunately all too often I'll, I'll hear, you know, I've been having this symptom for six months. I didn't know that I could see you. I thought things were, you know, I was trying to give other people a chance to see you. Go ahead and call your physicians with those chronic things that you're having. Uh, older individuals, uh, sometimes, you know, the uh, pain that's caused by either damage to your heart through a heart attack or through heart failure can sneak up on you over time. Pay attention to those those signals that you might be getting of maybe some uh, just some increased shortness of breath that needs to be evaluated by your physician. That can that can be a sign of those things. Uh, call them. They probably would want to see you, maybe get an EKG or further test and listen to sort of what what's going on uh, after uh, a physical exam uh, to uh, appropriately get you the help that you need. So keep those things in mind. Uh, it's always a, a good idea to sort of re-establish uh, those regular uh, visits. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm older and I've never had a problem with anything. I don't know why I would need to go in once a year. It's so much easier to catch things at an earlier standpoint, whether that's cancer or heart disease or hypertension. Once you wait until the damage is done, it's much harder to intervene, pretty much like anything else. If you're growing a garden and you, uh, you weed it, you take care of the, uh, get everything prepared up front, it's certainly much easier to plant what you want and in there uh, and uh, see the uh, see the um, the um, outcomes of the of all that hard work up front. Much harder once you wait for all those weeds to grow in there and get them out. That's my problem, by the way, at my house right now. I have waited way too long to do that. Uh, another thing that I would also encourage you to do is to uh, if you have chronic health conditions. Make sure you're learning all you can about that. It's uh, always going to be much better for you if you have diabetes, hypertension, uh, if you have lots of chronic disease processes uh, that you uh, learn all you can about that and keep up to date on that on what you can do. Almost always patients do much better if they take uh, that kind of initiative and responsibility. And there may be some other things that you can learn about along the way. And um, you can share that with other people. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. <laughs>